you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics. And I guess we've got to say, Ben, Happy New Year to all our listeners. Happy New Year. How did it get to be 2022? I have no idea whatsoever. It feels like we've been in some kind of time travel machine or something. Um, I clearly, clearly remember New Year 92 to 93 and thinking, blimey, I feel a bit old. Yeah. And then here we are. And then we have the millennium. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, So this is the... uh, Part four, the last of our look back at some of our best bits of 2021. And today we're going to focus on some of the guests we had. But before we get into that, um, I just wanted to uh, talk about a message that we received on Facebook because it really touched me. Um, It's from Stuart. Um, He sent us a message just before uh, before. 2022 kicked in he said hi guys as it's the end of the year i thought i'd drop you a quick line to thank you for the work you do on the podcast i've had a tough few months coping with a family illness and can honestly say that putting my earphones in and listening to you both discuss these amazing topics has been a real lifeline i have a lifetime fascination for the paranormal and listening to a whole host of podcasts that cover the otherworldly. I really enjoy the conversational style of TQM combined with deep dives into very interesting subjects. It's a formula that works well for astonishing legends, but you have given it an extra edge by focusing often on UK subjects. I enjoy the further afield subjects too, but it's really refreshing to hear something that I can better identify with. Mentions of the test card, Top of the Pops or McCain frozen chips ads. Anyway, just wanted to let you know how much the work you put in is appreciated and that you really helped distract me these past few months. There are much uh, Things are much improved now happily and life is returning to normal, so I look forward to enjoying many more episodes. He also goes on to mention that he had a strange encounter uh, with a black dog on the moors and uh, maybe one day he should tell us about it, but... It was just really touching. It really touched me that message. Just to, it's weird to think, isn't it? That you know, how, that we're actually some people are sitting there going, "Yeah, that's great what you're doing, and you really helped me. That's amazing." Yeah, I, I'm kind of blown away because this was, you know, all as all of these things are, is a project conceived in a chat, made possible by buying some kit off the internet and putting it together and then when you hear people say that then um yeah it sort of makes it all worthwhile but um he hasn't even understood the uh the length and breadth of the geekdom <laughs> like i know we've spoken about the test card but like dude i can tell you about the british satellite broadcasting test cards and it would be a two-hour conversation. And yeah, let's not. Then. I don't want to put everyone else to sleep, but if you, if you want to talk about the Galaxy test card between 1990 and 1991 received on a square reel off the Marco Polo satellite, I am your man. Yeah, yeah. I have to say at this point, that will be Ben's solo project. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But thank you, Stuart. I'm really glad that... Um, 
hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, things are looking much better than they have been for you and you've been through a bit of a tough time, but uh, I'm, I'm honoured that we could, in some small way, help you through that. Um, I w- also wanted to do a few other honourable mentions as it's uh, it's uh, that one year's passed and the new one's coming in. Uh, a few people on Twitter I wanted to mention who've been really supportive. Um, Just Steve at uh, Soen76. Mike Tipping at Tipping's Tipples, which is a great uh, handle. And the Mystic Times blog as well, which is at Mystical... Sorry, Mystical Times blog, which is at Mystical blog. Um, they've been really big supporters to us uh, this year and done lots of... Uh, recommending to other people so we really appreciate that and you know what as we're at it ben it's kind of a tradition now isn't it to always mention one of our i guess one of our first listeners and certainly one of the first to post comments uh and so a quick shout out to Anne half who we mention every year but um uh, nice that she's still with us uh, listening, not still with us, obviously, but still with us on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying she's come back as a ghost. <laughs> uh, I feel like... I should... It must be the yeah, warfarin. Yeah, yeah, she listened to 50 episodes and then she killed over. Um, no, that she is still listening to us and was one of our first listeners and certainly the first to get in touch. So, and hope you're doing well. Yeah, 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 but... Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, thank you so much. It does it does mean a lot because um yeah, it's it's a it's a weird old world when uh, you you sit in, you know, the office in the back of your house and um talk into a microphone about things that interest you and then other people go, Well, they interest me as well and you always hope it does, but it you you never know for sure. And um it's it's very heartwarming and it makes it all worthwhile. So from some wonderful people who've been listening, let's move on to some wonderful people who've been on our podcast. Oh, silky oh, smooth yeah. segue there. Um, we're, <laughs> now, this feels like a lifetime ago, so I was surprised that it was in 2021. In fact, it was our first episode of 2021. Uh, it was on remote, remote viewing, uh, and we had the wonderful Daz Smith come on, who's, uh, I guess, one of the world's leading remote viewers, who uh, yeah. beforehand gave us a few lessons on how to properly do remote viewing. Well, at least, you know, a crash course in it, and set us uh, a blind target for me and Ben to do some drawings and see if we can uh, see if we could get what the target was so uh, have a listen to us at the start of this you'll hear us actually trying to do the drawings and work out what the target is and uh, then the second part Daz comes in and reveals what the target is and I can reveal now just might help you while you're listening the target was the Statue of Liberty so have a listen the only thing that I know is that this num that this uh, target has a number assigned to it, 0003-1471. And then I got this feeling of blue sky and water. There's emotion locked up in in whatever this structure is. And it feels like there is a 
a tall window at its highest point and it feels like it's a light coloured building. It feels like a large building with with one part much higher than the others. Your target is 0003-1471. Worship, worship keeps coming to my mind. So this thing's vast. And this thing's there. It's It's massive. It's vast. It's... You know, it's the kind of thing, if you were a person, you'd look at it and go, I'm just in awe of that. Wow, look at that. I then started seeing images of, you know, you get those reclining Buddhas, those massive statues. So, I don't know if this is right, but I am going to draw a massive kind of human, humanoid figure. Yeah, yeah, good data. And other data here. Uh, some of this is good as well. Sign of many people. Is that boats? Yeah, boats singing, smell of wood uh, when entering. Uh, that's all probably correct for this target as well. So the target itself. Ah. Oh. The Statue of Liberty at the time that you were viewing it. Oh, would that, you know what's really interesting about that? Wow. So in the middle of my picture, that was a massive statue of a person. And those people who are next to it are, were almost worshipping it, but they were small. And, and you, you, can wow. see, you can see by this person as well, you even got like, it, or to me it looks like there might be something in its hand as well. Yeah, it was, it was holding something out. That really strongly came to me. Wow. Might have been you trying to get that part. And then, you know, your stone structure part here is most probably you trying, your mind trying to show you this, this pyramidal part here. Oh, wow. And that's the cold stone. And you had white stone as well, Ben, didn't you? I did have white stone. Yeah. Ben's, as you can see here, you know, he's got a structure here with, you know, lake and sea around it. And of course, we know that this is on an island with literally, you know, the sea is just here, right in front of it here, because I've I've seen it for real. And then, you know, you've got a structure. It looks like a in its most basic form here. You have a structure here with a higher part in the middle of it on on an island. Yes which is what the target is as well. So if I had to put my big person on top of my little pyramid thing on the left, that would have been pretty good. Wow. Uh, but there's, there's enough information in there for, for someone like me, this, this seeing thousands of these over the years to know that, you know, that's, that's pretty accurate for what this target is. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a big statue of a person on top of a, on top of a, a very square angular stone structure. So you're completely right. That felt like uh, it was a lifetime ago, but also it was it was a really life changing yeah. thing. And like you, you tell me what you think. But it, the fact that it. I mean, I know this sounds weird to people who do it as a living, including Daz, but the fact it worked, the fact that a couple of people who'd never done it before could make it work, it changed my paradigm, really. And I suppose 
like I've always, you know, the, the reason we say that this podcast is for the believers, the doubters, and everyone in between is because we are both believers and doubters and somewhere in between. That's kind of, I think, where we come from. But that really did make me, it, it made me lie awake at night thinking what the flipping heck is going on. You know what, on? I was thinking about this when I revisited it because we'd done a few episodes before that on remote viewing. We'd interviewed Paul H. Smith, who was one of the original people on the Stargate, the, the American military um, secret uh, group who were doing remote viewing. We'd interviewed Daz. We'd done a few tests ourselves. I think that was the first time we, we, we naively set ourselves some psychic things to see if we could do it. There was something about doing Daz's target that, and I thought, why would we not have returned to that over and over again in 2021 and do more of it? And you know why? I think I think I'm a little bit scared of it, to be honest. I think that because you, the first time we did it, you had a really good result uh, with a picture of Mount Fuji that I was um, looking at that you didn't know about, and that was freaky. But it was you doing it so it didn't feel as personal but when I pretty much went oh my god I pretty much in how would I put it in different parts got the Statue of Liberty even though I didn't feel like it was the Statue of Liberty I knew it was this massive humanoid thing there's something about that I had picked up on something like that that really slightly freaked me out I think yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, um, I suppose the word is uncanny because we, twice we found, you know, similarities, strong similarities, not just made up ones between the target, even the ones we'd set between each other or the ones that Daz yeah. had set us. And the thing is, I don't know... When I was when I was doing the drawing, I don't know where I don't know where yeah. it came from because I had I felt like I had a very strong inclination to draw the things that I was drawing, and I did my very best to just let my mind sort of wander free and do the things. And each time I did it, I thought, "Well, I'm just this is just." You know, I might as well be drawing Bungle from Rainbow for yeah. all I know, and yet it it worked, and it wasn't just a it wasn't a a tenuous link. It was really yeah. strong. And the same perspective and that I was looking at the picture. I remember when you did your yes. that really freaked me out. So for people who don't know, go go back and check that episode out. We'll put some pictures of this stuff up so you can have a look at it, but. I was looking at a picture of Mount Fuji the first time we did remote viewing. Ben didn't know that's what I was looking at. He did some drawings and then showed me a picture. Had two peaks rather than one, but it was Mount Fuji. And it was from the angle of the picture that I was looking at, the same perspective, which really freaked me out. And then when we did Daz's target, which was the Statue of Liberty, and I had this giant humanoid thing reaching out an arm I mean and, and as as you're saying Ben it was like I don't know where any of that came from 
I wasn't try. I wasn't trying no. to shoehorn or go. Oh, if I draw it this way, it could be interpreted, and it's going to make me look good. I just, I just kind of went with it. It's really odd. We have to. I guess I've got to maybe me more need to put my fear aside, and maybe we'll have another crack at remote viewing in twenty twenty two. Would you say? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. And and I'd quite like to. I don't know. Like I'd like to do it again, probably just between you and I, and then maybe we contact that uh, Daz again and yeah. show him where where we're at. But but there's there's that other thing about it where it so blew our mind the first two times we did it or have done it. There's a there's a bit of me that's worried that it was it was coincidence so the next time we do it it'll be a complete that's really interesting i see i think my worry is the other way around i think my worry is you know because because we always you know it's made me think we always say you know we're getting further away from the truth and you know we take this agnostic point of view to have something like that where i get is it different i'm just thinking it through Jots are just weird coincidences. That is on a whole nother level. Do you know what I mean? So I think my fear is more the other way around, that we actually hit the target and go, oh, okay, there is something really weird going on. And how, how comes we know about this now and the whole world doesn't? It's really weird. Uh, yeah, no, I... I uh... I agree with you, but if if we got it if we got it right third time around, or if we had a strong correlation third time around, I would just be thinking, well, goodness, I want to work on the uh, U.S. government Stargate <laughs> yeah. program. I mean, like if I'm that good, but it's, I t- yeah, as I say, the the weird thing is, l- like if you really if you work really hard at it and you you try to and and this is the this is i think you know what what daz would say and what you read in the literature if you try really hard to focus on the signal not the noise yeah. which is incredibly hard to do and i don't know how we did it then you tap into something which is not a thing known to mainstream science and yeah, yeah that's odd that's really odd yeah well, uh, okay, well, that's the deal. We're reticent whether we get it wrong or right, let's have another crack at it in some shape or form this year. I think that's our that's a New Year's resolution. We're returning to remote viewing. Um, the next uh, great guest we had on uh, has been on uh, American television on History Channel. He's made a movie. He's written a book. He's a really... Uh, I was going to say decorated, but that's the wrong word. Respected journalist who's worked for the BBC, <laughs> Sky, Al Jazeera, various places. Um, uh, and we had him on. Now, we've not really done conspiracy theories because I think both me and you agree. It's, you know, there's there's so much, you know, you talk about signal and noise. There's so much noise and misinformation that we've not really been interested in it particularly. But when... Um, you said that you'd been in contact with Gerard Williams, who uh, was on the Hunting Hitler series and history uh, and uh, wrote the book and did the film Grey Wolf. 
uh, about the fact that Adolf Hitler didn't die in the war, I think my first thing was, well, he's got a really good pedigree. Let's hear what the guy has to say. Um, so let's have a listen to what the guy had to say and, uh, and we'll pick it up after you've had a listen. I went to Argentina and did a number of um, documentaries for Al Jazeera and some stuff for Channel 4 and various other people and came across this story that Adolf Hitler had escaped to Argentina on a submarine in 1945. And when I'd stopped laughing, um, I thought, this I've, I've never done a conspiracy theory story. I've never done a silly documentary. You know, at that stage, I'd spent 30-something years in hard news, hard international news. And... I thought, oh, yeah, let's just do a really silly story about a very ugly, evil man with a bad moustache going to Argentina and living his life out there. None of the stuff I was looking at was anything like the story I'd been told, that Adolf Hitler had killed himself in a bunker in 1945. You know, the, the skull fragments of the Russians say are his, are actually that of a woman in her 40s, so it couldn't even be Ava Brown. There's detailed references from a pilot, Peter Baumgart, who flew them out of Berlin into Denmark. Um, you know, there's no forensic evidence at all of Hitler and Ava Brown's death. Um, there is no evidence for Hitler's death. And yet, across Argentina, nobody is shocked by this story. Oh, yeah, he was here. I mean, one of my um, good friends who was the makeup artist on Grey Wolf, Oscar Moulet, Oscar was shooting a, um, a commercial in Paraguay after um, he'd filmed Grey Wolf with me. And he was shooting for BMW, and the head of BMW Paraguay was a Paraguayan German, of German descent. And he asked Oscar what he'd been working on. Oscar said, oh, I worked on a film about um, Adolf Hitler in Argentina. And the guy said, oh, yeah, my parents knew them well after the war. Met them regularly. People wanted to forget it. People wanted to believe Adolf Hitler was dead, you know. I mean, people wanted it all to be over. Um, but it wasn't. It really wasn't. Nazi bases in Antarctica, Nazi flying saucers, Nazis on the moon. I mean, the amount of disinformation and misinformation out there is huge, just huge. People making it up in their back bedrooms. I just, I, I, I had got very angry with the story because I could not believe that there was so much information out there that Adolf Hitler and, much more importantly, Martin Bormann and Gestapo Muller, the head of the SS police, and Gestapo, had all escaped the bunker and had all made it to Argentina. I had um, two eyewitnesses to Hitler's presence in Argentina, um, both threatened with death. One said um, she was a lady who lived up on the um, Marchiquita, the little inland sea in, in um, Argentina, who'd met Hitler a number of times after the war in the company of a family called the Eichhorns, who had a property there and a property at La Falda. Um, and she said that he signed copies of Mein Kampf for her, and she had pictures. Um, that didn't go much further when she got a phone call from somebody just saying, the Gestapo is still active, and you must not talk to these people anymore. We got the um, Argentine federal um, police involved in the other case, which was Captain Monasterio, who had written a book based on, um, based on interviews with a guy called... Um, Better, um, who had been Adolf Hitler's sort of um, servant at the after the war, and also the writings of Dr. Otto Lehmann, who was Hitler's personal uh, physician post-war. 
And Captain Monasterio was rung up in the middle of the night and told that his children would be killed and his house would be burned down. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy. Conspiracy by the major powers, especially the Americans, to keep the real things going on after World War II completely secret. Um, the Nazis got away with country buying amounts of money, and the senior Nazis have lived extremely well off the back of it. They, you know, people like Martin Bormann and Gustavo Müller hid in plain sight in German communities in Argentina and Paraguay and Brazil. Martin Bormann dropped the Hugo Boss uniforms, put on Hugo Boss suits, and ran it as a major corporation. Lots of arms smuggling, lots of counterfeiting operations in Paraguay, producing dollars and pounds, um, huge amounts of money in, in Switzerland, um, in Argentina, in Syria, um, and in Turkey, um, openly walking the streets of Dublin, believe it or not. I mean, you know, there's this, there's this sort of weird access of Madrid, Dublin, and Buenos Aires. It, it's shocking. <laughs> really is shocking. I think anger is what continues to drive me over this. Every time I come across a, an American document or a, um, you can't get across British documents, they hide everything for another 50 years. They just stamp it top secret again. All the files are still stamped top secret. It's 80 years later. What are they hiding? There's even a report from German police in 1954 of them finding a whole bunch of LP records of Hitler's speeches. And they're brand new speeches. The number of times I've wished these people were space aliens or lizards or the Illuminati, none of which, as far as I'm concerned, I've found any evidence of whatsoever. And I said, so what's with the Iron Cross first class? He said, my client says her father was given it by Adolf Hitler here after the war for services rendered. So I'm sitting in Bariloche, Nazi central in Argentina, holding a First World War Iron Cross, owned by the daughter of a senior SS officer who said he'd been given it by Adolf Hitler for services rendered after the war. It only ever annoys me when people go, oh, this is a complete load of bollocks, if they haven't read the book. Yeah. You know, do me the courtesy of reading the book and then tell me that I'm wrong. I think what really strikes me about Gerard is, A, his pedigree uh, in terms of his journalistic knowledge and background. Uh, the fact he's so knowledgeable. I mean, the amount yeah. of information he's been through and the research that he's done, and he's so passionate and, you know, dare I say, pissed off about the whole story and that yeah. quote in there it's not conspiracy theory it's a conspiracy that quote really stuck with me from that interview yes absolutely and it's i i i agree it, when when you look at it it's it's because a conspiracy theory is something which you can't back up with facts you can only back up with i suppose you would say um alternative viewpoints but what gerard brings is solid facts and they aren't just solid facts that he replicates or exposes in his book these are things that sort of pass people by like uh, I suppose the the most compelling thing being 
that the Russians who claim to have a piece of jawbone from Hitler, they allowed, I think it was in 2013, analysis on it, and it turned out to be from a 40-year-old woman. So obviously, obviously not Hitler. And then the fact that he was intrinsic to three series of Hunting Hitler on History Channel, which is, you know, yes, it's an entertainment show, but yes, the evidence has to be there, otherwise the show wouldn't exist. And then all of the nuggets that he told us that they couldn't feature in that show but come through in his book, you just kind of, you you become like mesmerized and and i do know as as you will know after that episode we had a number of history teachers contact us on the socials saying you know this is this is a relevant theory and you know it should be explored further because that whole notion and and what gerard says absolutely rings true like it's even when you're a kid and you get taught this at school it is too convenient that the the biggest uh i suppose despot of the 20th century who caused the deaths of millions and millions of people he just shoots himself in a bunker and then everything's over and all of you know it's never answered in history lessons what happened to all of the people that followed him or idolized him or carried out the crimes that he instigated it's always you know it's always taught that oh well he died and then everyone else went back to being normal people and it makes no sense oh oh and, and the other thing is of course oh those who didn't they got tried at the nuremberg trials and they were sentenced to death or prison or whatever. And then we could draw a line under that, and that's what goes on. But that is... Even logic says that that must be nonsense. That must be nonsense. If you look at it today, if, if, for example, if Trump died or QAnon stopped posting, there would still be people who would idolise those theories and push them as truths even if the source had gone and so why wouldn't it be that there were people who you know oh hitler's dead but i'm still carrying on but no he he shot himself everything's fine carry on that that thought that the western allies needed this to go forward makes you think well of course why wouldn't you cut a deal with this guy so that he takes his his dealings elsewhere and and he's so credible and and like i would just remind everybody he has a 40 year old history of mainstream news reporting he is not an outlier so yeah 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 uh, i think i think that summary uh, is fascinating it is fascinating i think that summary is a good one because whatever you think about what he put forward in that interview or you know his research the bit that really sticks with me is kind of what you're alluding to that hitler dying in the bunker is a story that everybody wanted to believe was true 
You know what I mean? So it suited everyone and that's why it's continued to be accepted as the mainstream view, I guess. Or you can see why it would be accepted as the mainstream view if something else had gone on. No, fascin- I found that really a fascinating episode. Really worth a listen if you've not heard it. Um, we have, I guess over the time we've been doing the podcast... There's been a few themes that have popped up in different episodes. So jots that we've talked about, just one of those things. One of the things that's come up a fair bit uh, is sleep paralysis. Uh, Mm. And uh, something that I've experienced, something that has been linked to other things like uh, potentially alien abductions. Um, I had a mild version of it that involved Jeff the Talking Mongoose, which was quite a bizarre tale. Um, But we uh, got contacted by one of our listeners who said that she had suffered from sleep paralysis for a number of years uh, with some uh, very scary results. Here's the interview that we did with Melanie about sleep paralysis and her experience. Well, gosh, and I can't remember the first time that I had sleep paralysis. On I mean, I just know that I had it all through my childhood, um, through when I went to college. The experiences that I had, I would wake up and there would be a figure um, just in my room, kind of a shadow figure. And of course, you can't move. But no, when you have sleep paralysis, I mean, you're lucid. You know you're awake. Probably one of the most memorable times for me I was staying at somebody's house, and um, so I was in a room that was unfamiliar to me, and um, I was facing a window when I was sleeping, and I woke up, and the figure was at the window um, across the room from me, and of course, I was terrified. I couldn't move, um, and in those situations, I, I've i come up with different um, ways to cope with it. You know, sometimes I hyperventilate because... I think if I move myself enough, you know, I can wake up. Um, other times I focus on just like little body parts, like my toes, you know, start moving my toe and then I can move the rest of my body. Um, or, or when I was a child, what I would do is just imagine four angels standing at the posts of my bed and just doing that actually would give me the ability to wake up and to move. But um, in this particular situation, he was at the window And I was looking at him and just in the next moment, his face was right in front of my face, Um, you know, and here I am laying on my side and and here's his face. And it was, it was vibrating, kind of like moving back and forth, like something you would see in a horror movie. Um, And yeah, that, that's probably the most memorable. So I, I was, um, I was in my childhood bedroom and, and the house we lived in, I kind of reference it because I was in that room, and then when my sister went off to college, I kind of temporarily moved into the loft, and then I took over her room later. So I was young because I was still in this um, first bedroom in the house, and I used to always sleep in the nightlight, and I, um, because I was terrified of the dark, and I woke up one night, and I just had this like dread. I had this feeling that something was there. And I put my covers over my face and I laid there and I had this conversation with myself about, um, you know, part of me is saying, there's nothing there. You're, you know, being crazy. 
It's you're just scared for no reason. You know, you've got the light on. It's okay. And then this other part of me is thinking, if there's something there, this thing that I'm feeling, and I'm here just laying under the covers, hiding from it, like who's to say it's not going to come closer. It's not going to come get me. And so I finally got enough courage to put the covers down and look out. And from my bed, I could see the, I had the door open and um, I could see the top of the stairs. And there was probably like this four foot section where it was, you know, banister. And through the um, banister, I could see this figure standing and he was wearing a suit and he had a normal face. It was like a scary man face and his head was orange and he was glowing. And and his head, I remember the shape of it, it, it kind of came to a point. And so when I, you know, told this story to, to friends and stuff, I've always called him the carrot head man. But um, now as I, I look back on it, you know, I've, I've seen different things referencing Jin that kind of look like that with, um, you know, the glowing face. Although the pictures I've seen, it's a little more of fiery versus glow. I saw something that, that glowed orange. Um, I've had people say, well, maybe it was a fae, you know, some sort of fairy creature. But um, yeah, so I, I sat up and I saw this thing and I choked for a second. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't scream. I couldn't do anything. And I finally got the breath to scream. And I found out later that my mother woke up and she was hitting my dad. She's like, wake up, you know, Mel, something's wrong with Melanie. Um, but I didn't even wait. I, I took agency and I ran and I ran out my door past this thing, which I, I continued to see as I ran past it and into my parents' room. And I saw it up until the moment I turned and I looked back and it was gone. But um, what's significant too with my experience is that when I was in college, I had just met my um, first husband who I went on you know, to get married and I have had my daughter with. And um, he'd come over to my apartment and it was late and he was driving home and he heard a voice and the voice, and I've asked him about it since, um, you know, I was like, is it, was it just the same volume as what was in your head or was it kind of louder? And he said it, it kind of took over, it pushed its way in and it was an uncomfortable feeling. And this voice told him, leave her alone. She belongs to me. So he just told it, um, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, leave leave her alone. She doesn't belong to you. And that was, you know, about 12 years ago. And I haven't had it since. Uh, really fascinating Melanie's story. And I, w I was really pleased that she was really open and shared her experience with us because, you know, like I said, it's before we played that, there's, you know, something that I've experienced and it's incredibly unsettling and feels incredibly real um you know i think for me my experience i don't think was a paranormal one i think it was you know something else going on you know whatever it is a slight misfiring me almost hallucinating while being awake but you know i'm not discounting her story at all that she believes there was some paranormal edge to it and there are bits about the fact that people do see the same things over and over again which are quite weird you know which does lend some credence to a paranormal angle to it i guess uh yeah no i think that's right so we've discussed the um 
the sort of uh, the 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 chess sitting witch, yeah, the hag, and the the old hag. Yeah. That's right. And we've also discussed the fact that people hear footsteps; they feel a malevolent force in the room. Some people see shadow figures. But I think, crucially, one of the most interesting things I took away from that conversation, and, you know, I'm not the first to talk about this, loads of other people have spoken about this, but one of the most sort of, um, I suppose, mainstream arguments that's put forward as credible is about alien abductions, and this is a... Uh, an argument against alien abduction. This is, no, alien abductions are sleep paralysis. But very, very, very seldom do you see accounts of sleep paralysis which talk about, you know, diminutive grey creatures which take you into a yeah, spacecraft yeah. and then take sperm yeah. and eggs. That that doesn't yeah. seem to be the case. Yeah, that's certainly my experience. Didn't have any of that going on. Um yeah fascinating Uh, it's a subject i guess because i had that weird experience and i didn't know what it was for a long time or for months until i I happened across a documentary about it that was like shit that's what happened to me so it's a it's definitely a topic that i'm fascinated by yeah um i guess one of maybe if not my favorite uh, episode that we did last year and uh, which involved a couple of great guests was the Wandsworth Haunting. In fact, it was two episodes, I think, we ended up. And it kind of mm. took me right back to when we first started, Ben, where we did the Ilma Hauntings, Nikki's story, where mm. we heard uh, it's one of the first episodes we did, um, or recorded at least, and uh, Nikki told us a story that had happened to her and then we went off and researched some of the detail and uh, we did another one of those with uh, Monet who who had the experience when she was a child and her mother, who's the singer, Misha Paris, who went on to get an MBE after that episode came out. I'm not sure we had any influence over it, do you? I, I well as as I understand it, the Queen listened to that episode <laughs> and I did. she yeah, she was like, Yep, she yeah. deserves well, it. Um there's a good summary. So what we've done in this so the first part of the main episode was hearing their story. The second part was us revealing some of the research that we'd done. Uh in this clip that we're gonna play you now, we've condensed the two together. So it's a little brief summary, but if you've not heard the full episodes, definitely recommend going and checking them out, but this will give you a good flavour anyway. Have a listen. There's a few things that stick out to me, but the first one, I was about um, seven, and I was in my bed, and I woke up in the morning, and I could see this floating head. So I could look at, I looked in the mirror and I could see that the bed was like raised off the floor. And I said to her, can you see that? And she said, yes. Then Monet went in the bathroom one day and, and she was looking in the mirror and she saw someone looking back at her and it was an old woman and came in, ran in, freaked out. And I was like, oh my God, this place is a joke. I would always say that house was haunted. Like my mum refers to it as a haunted house. So does my grandma. Like, my uncle, everybody knows that house is haunted. Like, that's what they refer to it to. 
to it too. Till still to this day, that's the haunted house that we lived in, you know. But for some reason, couldn't get rid of these flies. And they were all circulated in one place on the floor. They were just constantly there. And we were like, what the hell? Um, come to find out later on what it was that someone had died there. So I was in my mum's bed with her. And then I could see this, like, man at the end of her bed. Um, I guess maybe it was like a shadow. I'm not sure, though. It, it was something, some sort of figure at her bed. And um, she did throw um, either a book or a Bible at the figure, and then it disappeared. Um, I was in her room one day on my own, and I heard literally heard two people walking up and down the stairs. <laughs> and I was the only person in the house. I saw this this horror movie the other day, and it was exactly that. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, that happened to us. I widened my search around specific houses on the road that you lived on and the general area of Wandsworth Common. Yeah. And there are a number of sites on the Common, as we've said. After a bit of digging, I came across an account in a book by a famous paranormal investigator and writer from the early 1900s, someone called Elliot O'Donnell. Now, in 1909, he published a book on his investigations into the paranormal, and it's called Haunted Houses of London. So you can still go and check this book out. And in that book, among other stories, he he details accounts from people who were haunted while living in a house attached to Wandsworth Common. I also found another article which linked the stories that he talks about in his book to a house on the road that you lived in. Now, I'm going to summarise and quote some extracts from the book by Elliot O'Donnell, published in 1909, but the events listed happened in the late 1800s. But the staircase arrested my attention the moment I entered the house. Why, I cannot exactly say, but there was something indefinably odd about it. That night, we both lay awake and heard the stairs creak and groan as if feet of innumerable people trod up and down them. Oh, gosh. So this paranormal activity in the house continues with the family's daughter, Molly. He recounts a story where the staircase actually started moving and attacked her, pressing her up against a wall. There is another account from a nephew that stayed in the house, was up late working in the study downstairs, when a noise brought him out into the hallway. He describes what happens next. The staircase was fairly alive with ghosts. There was a regular procession of them, men and women. I could distinguish the difference in the sexes more by the touch of their dresses than by their voices, for I could not hear anything they said directly. Indeed, they only seemed to speak in whispers. Now, the author of the book I'm quoting from, Elliot O'Donnell, then gets in touch with someone else who has lived in the house. O'Donnell writes, Some months after meeting Mr Scarron, I was introduced to a lady in London who remarked that she had once lived in the haunted house in Wandsworth. I begged her to give me her experiences, and she told me the day, that day after day she had been disturbed by an old woman who used to chatter outside her bedroom door. Both she and her sister often saw the old woman in various parts of the house, generally on the staircase and flitting about the passages. Oh my God. O'Donnell then goes on 
O'Donnell then goes into a different account, which he believed was from another occupant of the same house. Monet, it was when I read this account, I got the most incredible goosebumps. And when you hear it, I think you will understand why. Oh my God, I'm going to, I got chills. (laughs) O'Donnell details an interview he conducted with Mrs. Newville. He writes... I again heard of the haunted house at Wandsworth Common from a Mrs. Newville who kindly described in detail the phenomenon she had witnessed in it. The most remarkable feature in the house, Mrs. Newville observed to me, was the main staircase, which was, I think, the most gloomy and suggestive staircase I have ever seen. I never passed it without a shiver and the uncanny conviction that it was alive. Absurd as you may think it, I have actually felt that staircase looking at me and I could be certain that more than once it has moved noiselessly and stealthily forward, stepping back again the instant it perceived I was on the alert. I grew so terrified at it that I positively dreaded to be even within sight of it after dusk. I had never known what fear was until I lived in that house and watched the fading sunlight on those grim, forbidding stairs. I tell you, Mr O'Donnell, There were certain bends in that staircase and certain steps that I never loitered upon, but always flew past and was convinced they harboured some strange, hideous creature. Well, one evening in August, as I was sitting alone in the study about eight o'clock, I heard my aunt call from her bedroom, which was on the first floor. The rest of the family being out, I at once grew in a panic, for I funked the idea of the staircase, and at the same time dreading to keep my aunt waiting as her crotchety temper, if the slightest thing went wrong, was very hard to bear. Hence I was on the horns of the most unpleasant dilemma. My aunt called again, and fearing to dally any longer, I threw down my book, and hastening out of the room, made for those awful stairs. I ascended, I ascended as fast as I could, without daring even to raise my eyes, until a peculiar bluish light playing on the silver buckles of my shoes compelled me to glance up and there there on the landing directly above me and some six or so feet from the ground was a ball of cerulean phosphorus that developed quite suddenly into a ghastly head (laughs) (laughs) A floating head. Oh, yeah, that's what that's she saw what in the mirror. A floating yeah. head. Yeah, well, she saw it in the mirror, though. She saw it in the mirror. But the, remember, the bathroom was at the top of the stairs, you know? Oh, wow. Oh. There you go. Well oh, done on the research, though. Well done. My God. That was just so spooky. That's exactly what I... Like, that description is exactly what I saw. Thank <laughs> you so much, Peter. Fabulous. Pleasure. And Ben, I love you guys. When we put that out, I had never really come across a case of people seeing floating heads in their houses. That seems like, you know, it's it's almost like the basis of a of a horror movie. And yet, on the back of that episode, I had a number of people who'd listened to that episode say to me in person, "Oh." I have experienced that oh, or I know somebody that have has experienced that and it is 
more common than you would you would think and i found that extremely fascinating because i hadn't really come across that disembodied head thing before and it's also (laughs) it's a pretty terrifying yeah sticks with you that image doesn't it it really does stick with you but i thought that the story coming from those two people you know mother and daughter obviously something happened and it's corroborated between the two of them there's literally again you 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 follow the story you follow the the logic there is no reason why somebody as famous as misha paris would be generous enough to come on a podcast of our size and corroborate the stories that her daughter put forward if they weren't yeah, yeah. true it is clearly something that the the family experienced and i'm like genuinely so grateful for them saying that and i think you know it's an anecdotal thing but i've had well it's not loads but i i've had three people say to me personally that this is something that they have experienced themselves personally and they didn't want to tell anyone because it sounds bonkers and you you know and i think that is true of everything that we explore it sounds bonkers so i'm not going to tell anyone how on earth if you live on your own how on earth do you go to work the next day You, you know this this is this is a real life scenario how on earth do you go to work in a a customer service call center having been awake all night because you've had a disembodied head appear outside the wardrobe in your bedroom and you've you've had an hour's sleep and you're exhausted and your manager says are you all right what are you going to say no not really i had a disembodied head appear for seven hours last night and yet that's the truth of it and you can't talk about it no i agree and i I, it's amazing that with the disembodied heads that you've had people talk to you on that episode I've had so many people come up and said that they loved that episode and that they thought that uh, Monet and Misha were really you know brave to come and talk about it for exactly the reasons that you're mentioning so um, you know thank yeah. you to them for uh, for sharing that with us because it was it was amazing to hear and amazing to research as well we absolutely we're going to end uh, this episode with a fascinating guy called Nigel Watson, who wrote uh, a book about UFOs of World War One. So lots of sightings of weird things in the sky, which uh, we found out in the interview were almost described as airships but i think that was just a generic term for weird stuff in the sky we talked about so much on that podcast but um i have edited it in a certain way to explore a bit of a theme which i'll come back to after we've heard it ben if that's all right with you yeah yeah so let's have a listen to uh the author and journalist uh, Nigel Watson talking about uh, UFOs of the First World War. 
and I looked in the old newspaper files and found there were a few old cases from like 1909, 1913. And I thought, well, if I looked at the old historical files, they couldn't be easily explained as, um, you know, satellites or um, spaceship imagination. Look, looking at cases that hasn't been contem- uh, contaminated by our own views of the space age. I think a good point um, um, somebody made a long time ago is that the word UFO or flying saucer gave us an umbrella term to look at anything seen in the sky and men in black and all sorts of other things. Uh, you know, we take for granted now. But having the right words can give you the umbrella to look at, um, uh, you know, what aspects of it come under, you know, that term. Um, at that time, um, you know, the carbon phantom airships or just, uh, you know, mystery uh, in the sky or something. And I think people did grapple with trying to describe what they saw. Um, if you look at some of the, the earlier American sightings, um, the sort of impossible craft, they've got wings, they've got rotors, they've got rudders, you know, the sort of like... Uh, we've just chucked in anything they imagine a flying craft might have. So you, you wonder how much of that is imagination and how much of it is, uh, you know, what we actually saw. And perhaps, you know, we didn't have the right words, you know, terminology to really describe what what we actually saw. So, yeah, it's quite interesting, like, um, people said it looked like a bird because it had wings on it sort of thing. I think... Um, I think with the Danish cases, they um, also said we often describe them as sort of balloons and that sort of, um, you know, relating it to balloons and that sort of thing, really. But sometimes they, they move in such a way that it, it couldn't possibly be a balloon. I think you've got to look at the fact that, you know, the media does have some sort of agenda and, um, you know, you know, UFOs are, are, are very much affected by that sort of thing. And, and back in that day, it was about, you know, threats from foreign forces. And perhaps I think another problem the British authorities had was that the... Um, Having stoked up a, a, a sort of airship scare, you literally had hundreds of people in city centres looking at lights in the sky, and it kind of got out of control. So often you did get explanations saying, you know, these kids had let off fire balloons or somebody had been flying a kite. Um, some cases can get promoted and made to sound more sensational until you go back to the sources, you know. So, um, you know, that's another factor. UFO books um, always want to present the most positive viewpoint of a subject. And um, it's a bit disturbing, really, that, you know, books that are sort of hypercritical of a subject um, rarely sell well. So, you know, you only have to look at... um, the TV channels now are full of ancient alien and UFO programs, and we're virtually, you know, 99% pro UFOs. Whereas uh, back in the old days, you had about one UFO documentary a year if you were lucky, and it always had what we called a balanced viewpoint, which usually um, uh, was more balanced towards it being sceptical rather than being a belief-orientated view of a subject, whereas now it's gone quite 
you know, the other way, really. And, you know, it's like, um, you know, it's a bit annoying, really, because I think, like, with my book, I try to look at different aspects of a case and not just look at it from just one point of view, because I think, you know... I think you need to have a sort of an inquiry mind about what, what's really going on, on, really. So, as you probably know, Spen, what I did there was almost... I, I think the, the way I edited that was a bit inspired by watching the J.J. Abrams four-part documentary on UFOs that was out this year, which I know I've been bagging on it quite banging on about it quite a lot because it is amazing i think it's a wonderful summary of the topic but it it i think i edited it this down after watching the final episode of it which was about disinformation um about the fact that there may be groups of people potentially within the ufo ufo community who are spreading disinformation or potentially could be puppets for some kind of secret government message. And, you know, what I thought was interesting in that interview from Nigel, there were themes of that that were even around back in those days. Do you know what I mean? The, Mm -hmm. you know, fear of foreign invasion... Oh, well, you could say that with the TikToks. Have the Russians or the Chinese got the technology? Um, newspapers, you know, kind of getting involved, ridiculing of people. Would see there were so many themes that really struck with me. And I, yeah. I'm going to just, I had an experience uh, just before Christmas bear with me on this because you're going to go what the heck is peter talking about but hopefully it will make sense (laughs) so i was thinking about that final episode of the jj abrams ufo series that you know is it all not true the ufo thing it's all disinformation thinking about that clip that we just heard from nigel kind of expressing some of those themes or discussing them at least and I thought, well, no, I'm a smart man. I'm never going to fall for all that, right? They, they can't control my mind in that way and make me think about these UFOs as these wonderful lights in the sky that, you know, it's all a con. Can't be done. I'm too smart for that. And then uh, it was on the last day of my, uh, my son's school. He's 10. Uh, they were having so the parents were asked to donate food for the last day because they were going to have a little party get together Um, so and it was for for listeners out there who are not in the UK there's been a massive story just before Christmas about the fact that while we were in lockdown last year in sorry in 2020 lockdown um, over Christmas that our Prime Minister and the government were having kind of secret parties and enjoying themselves and uh, it got exposed. And at first, the government and the Prime Minister denied that this happened, then said, well, if it did happen, all the rules were obeyed and then more footage came out and various bits. This story has been running and running and there's just been denial and deflection and all this kind of stuff. 
And it reminded me a bit of the UFO phenomena. But the weird thing was when I went to pick up my son, I took in the food that we were supposed to take in for the last day. And the teacher came out and she uh, said, oh, have you got the food there? And I said, yeah, I've got some food here. I've got the food for the pup. And I couldn't say the word because you're not supposed to say party because everybody was saying there was no party. It was a gathering. And then I made a joke. Uh. I made a joke. I said, per. I stopped myself. And then I said, oh, you can't say the word party, can you? You have to call it a gathering. And we both laughed. And I came away and I thought, wow, I thought that I couldn't be fooled by this stuff. But within a week... I've started to feel that party is a word that I couldn't use at my kid's school because there was something wrong about it. You know where I'm going with this? It's like, I wondered if it's like, I can't be fooled by all this misinformation about UFOs. If they can take a word out of my vocabulary, (laughs) the word party doesn't exist to me anymore, then maybe, you know, UFOs don't exist to me anymore or, or secret technology doesn't exist to me anymore. It just really made me think well you know when when you talk about things like that you start thinking about how there are stories of word substitution like swamp gas like weather balloon and because those words make so much more sense to people who haven't investigated it then they start replicating because you know to to be quite honest if you know my my mother lives in a village about 20 miles away if there had been a roswell roswell style incident there and the military would have said oh it was a uh, it it was a experimental weather balloon then my mother absolutely would would be rep- repeating that to me. And if I said, are you sure? Because to me, it does sound like it might have been alien technology. She'd just yeah. laugh and go... <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> like and, the word party. Yeah. It doesn't exist. The, yeah, absolutely. There's no party. There's no such thing as alien technology. Let's just get on with our lives. And I think there is a thing be- that it makes people more comfortable now with the current political ramifications people are understanding that sometimes a lie is a lie and that but but i think it's very different when you know if 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 you look at uk politics where it is now where we're recording the the government is trying to defend what are clearly parties that happened last year during lockdown in the garden of number 10 and you know there's all kinds of stuff being put out but it's true to say whatever however you feel about this the fact is that the the polls for our current prime minister's popularity are in free fall and and i think you're absolutely right the 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 similarity between that and saying, well, that thing over there, what you mean that, that massive saucer with two 
three foot tall beings covered in silver yeah. paint. Oh no, no, that's, that's just a gathering. Um, that's a, <laughs> but you know what I mean. That's what I mean. Oh no, and, that's just and a... with that, and then then you have all that. Then you have the denial. Then you have the deflection, and then whether they did it for this or not, the announcement of you know further restrictions to deflect from it right from the 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 parties that the prime minister had and when he did that i thought you can't deflect with that because it's it's like it's mentioning parties you can't go to parties anymore and surely that's drawing attention to the story and then i thought or oh, does it confuse the story because and that reminded me of the ufo thing as well putting out something Mm-hmm. that reminded you of UFOs actually detracted from the UFO story. And it was almost like putting mm-hmm. out restrictions. I thought, well, that's going to highlight the fact that you broke restrictions last year. But it did deflect because the news was talking about that the whole next day rather than the parties. And I, I just, the mm. whole thing just went, wow, that's how, if there is some conspiracy either way with the the UFO phenomena that... Okay, that's how it does work. That's how people in power and in politics naturally do things out of desperation or out of, uh, you know, practice of how you deflect attention from things. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, completely. And I think it also shows how it's... It's the grey zone of truth, right? Yeah, exactly. And 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 it's it's really difficult because some people, when you if if you make the simile to be the cover the current political situation, there'll be a load of people who, for example, fully supported the government on in many areas, and they don't want to believe that they were lied to, so they'll defend it because they've they've internalized it as a you know it, it, if it if they were wrong if if it if the fact was wrong then everything they believed and argued for was wrong and that is completely the same as you know saying you know for all your life you you know you've been told well, there's no such thing as a boogeyman. There's no such thing as monsters under the bed. There's no such thing as UFOs. Oh, a UFO crashed. Oh no, it wasn't. It was a it was a weather balloon. Oh, thank goodness for that because that would have ruined my worldview. And people who go, you know, there was a UFO that crashed. No, 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 no. no. It was a, it was a weather balloon. It's the same. It's the same deal. It's it's about the human brain and the way we accept or yeah, reject facts. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't too much of a stretch, but it just hit me that you know, Jesus, I, 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 um, I couldn't say the word party out loud. <laughs> I mean, that just, it just really, <laughs> it just struck me of like, wow, that's how much subconsciously things affect you. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah. Well, that's just human nature. Yeah. Me and Ben are not going off to have a party. We're having a business meeting after this with a with a, with oh, a man. cheese board. I've had three business meetings oh well I've had three business meetings in two days 
and I have got such a banging hangover. <laughs> All right, well, that concludes our roundup of the uh, our best of 2021. Uh, we'll be back next time with a brand new episode. Brand Yay. new. Do you know I've just ordered the book Excellent. for it? I'm, how many pages? Don't, it hasn't arrived. It hasn't arrived yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing my luck, it'll be like two thousand. You'll, you'll, you'll send me a text saying, "You know the Oxford English Dictionary? It's twice the size of that." <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, I've got a few days to digest it. It's it's a two word title, and I'm going to tease you by saying the second word is monsters, and the first word is something we've mentioned today, but oh, I'm not going to tell you what it is because I've I need to read it to work out whether it's going to be okay for like whether Very it's good. going to be intriguing or not. But I I think it is. It's got four point seven stars on Amazon. Oh. And it's right up our street. So um, I'm going to be spending those cheese and wind out days between Christmas and New Year trying to get my head around this. And if it turns out to be a dud, (laughs) I'm going to have to look elsewhere. But I hold out high hopes. Boris Monster. (laughs) No, it's close. It's close. close. (laughs) Party Monster. All right. Well, uh, uh, once again. Thank you all for listening to us uh, in 2021. I know we're technically in 2022 now, but um, we will be back next week with uh, hopefully that amazing episode that Ben's just cryptically, see what I did there, teased. Um, We'll see you next time on The Quantum Mechanics. Quantum mechanics.